Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside the Arborjet Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Now, before we get into tonight's topic, uh, we just want to say thank you on behalf of the podcast. Coming up on two years, we've actually passed it by the time this thing hit the air. And we'd like to thank everybody that has uh, forwarded our show links and information onto friends and other industry professionals. And uh, thanks for leaving us stars and reviews if you've, if you've done that. If you haven't, now is a great time to do that, especially with the holidays coming up. You know that Joe and I really do appreciate it. So, Joe, that's my that's my little that's my little shtick, my little spiel. How are you doing? Oh. Happy uh, happy seasons. Yeah, no, well said, Corey. But you're <coughs> but you're right. Um, two year anniversary coming up on one hundredth episode in a few weeks. That's that's pretty exciting. We're doing exactly what you and I wanted to do when we started this, and it's hard to believe it's been two years. Yeah. It's, it's um, and I still I got the energy to keep going. This is this is a great platform for us to do exactly what we started out to do: is raise the bar, spread some cheer, um, and give people some information that they might not have got elsewhere. So keep up the good work, buddy, and thanks for sticking with an old timer like me. Oh yeah, no, it's good, and like you said, our our listeners are our fans, if we want to call it discovering forestry podcast nation, we've got some of the best fans out there. Um, one of the facts that you and I just shared with the team this morning is that our podcast is in the top 10% that's being shared worldwide. It's, it's, it's staggering that, um, I know we've set off to be more like around the campfire with outdoor discussion that involves trees. So that's a good testament to, of honesty and, heartfelt and passion that we really do believe in what we've got going on. And um, we uh, have no intention of steering anybody in the wrong direction. It's well, all for the, all the trees. It's all for the trees, baby. I'm, I'm curious, Joe, where do you want to take the conversation today? <laughs> well, I, um, I listened to last year's Christmas episode. It was fun. We had a good conversation. Um, a couple things um, I found out. Uh, a few more pretty funny and pretty cool Christmas tree, AKA tree, um, fat, fun tree facts. So we're going to share some of those. And I think I would like to hear, <clears throat> the, the, we'll, we'll banter back and forth for a couple seconds, difference between an artificial and a real tree. But some of the things that we can do to prolong the life of an artificial term, I shouldn't say artificial tree. Um, prolong your live, cut down, harvested tree inside your home. So maybe we could go on that direction a little bit too today. Yeah, ab absolutely. It's it's funny. Pam, Pamela and I were out last weekend and we harvested our tree and, and it's it's almost always in the same capacity. If anybody's seen um, Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase, yes. <laughs> So, so they actually filmed that opening scene where, where they're driving and then he goes underneath the log truck and then they go harvest the tree. They actually filmed that in Colorado about an hour from our house. Oh my God. <laughs> so, and, and we typically harvest archery in the same tradition. You know, we buy a $20 permit from the, the, the feds 
And um, Pamela's she's so good. She always picks out the perfect tree. It's it's never the first one that we come to, and it's never easy to get to it, except this year, you know, we only had two or three feet of snow and um, she actually picked a tree that we dragged downhill. So I think this, this topic is going to hit home this week. Perfect. You know, what's interesting is that one of our very first guests, um, Jackie Bradkowski, UFM Forrester, um, got married, moved out, and she's a U.S. Forester in Iowa or Idaho. One Idaho. Of those yep, Idaho. Yep, Idaho. Idaho. I was flipping around on um, some social channels and she is the spokesperson for the state and the U S forest service on harvesting Christmas trees in the national forest. Get out. She had a whole cool little um, video that's recorded that the U S forest service is sharing <clears throat> on exactly what you said. Make sure you got your permit. Make sure you know where you're at and you're not on someone else's property. Make sure you're in the regulations of what size tree you're allowed to harvest. And more than that, what tree species are you allowed to harvest? So there's a lot more to it. And I think um, I have a statistic. Let me share a fun fact while we go through. So I was looking at... Um, Christmas tree, United States. <laughs> All right. So there's approximately 350 million Christmas trees growing on U.S. farms. So obviously, majority, I think it's almost 98% of live or real Christmas trees used come from tree farms. So the fact that you and Pamela go out and harvest in a state or national forest is only 2% of harvest Christmas trees harvested. <clears throat> so you think about that. You think about the um, 350,000 acres that are dedicated to Christmas tree farms across the country. <clears throat> and what a business um, Christmas trees are. So, <coughs> excuse me, again, Christmas time, Joe's got a cough. The only thing I don't have this year is a squeaky office chair. So oh, thank God. I noticed that, I noticed that on the last Christmas podcast, and you can hear that thing, it was getting bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, 24.5 million farm-grown Christmas trees were purchased in the United States with an estimated real market value of $1.01 billion. Wow. Christmas trees are a billion-dollar industry. I believe it. It's just, it's mine. It's mind-boggling <laughs> that when we talk about some of the history, the history of it and how far it goes back, how big this tradition has grown. And the hundreds of thousands of jobs it creates, farmers that are just doing it um, for the, the, the harvest of a month period at the end of the year. And it's remarkable too, those farmers are involved and, it, and to, to shape them and to spray, to spray them and to care for them, that's all something. But then, you know, a lot of trees, I think, especially in more urban areas are sold in Christmas tree lots. So you have the Boy Scouts. 
And oh my yeah. Other organizations. One one of my first jobs when I was working at at the greenhouse back in southeastern Wisconsin was actually to sell Christmas trees in the wintertime. Uh, we turned the nursery into a tree lot. And I thought they were expensive then, but goodness, what they got to be now. Oh, yeah. You're talking, you could drop a $100 bill on a Christmas tree. Easy. Wow. Easy. But um, I drove, you know, the top five Christmas tree producers is, um, I believe, I'm trying to remember. I forgot to write it down. Top three I know is Oregon. North Carolina, in Michigan, in third. <clears throat> um, hold on, man. I might have that note somewhere. But think about the states. Christmas trees are grown in all 50 states. But the top producers are those states. Let's see. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Washington, New York, Virginia. Wow. Those are the top Christmas tree producing states. It probably depends on the species that's grown in each one of those regions, because I'm sure what you're growing in, you know, the mountains in Oregon wouldn't be the same that you're growing in Virginia. You know, here's a great tidbit for all of our Michiganders. <clears throat> I did not know. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did not know this, but Michigan ranks third among all states in production of real Christmas trees, but grows a larger variety of Christmas tree than any other state. Goes right to what you said, variety. So Michigan grows third overall, but first in variety of Christmas trees. So hats off to the Mitten State. Way <laughs> so, to go, Michigan. You want win something, and you beat Ohio State the other week. So I'm still happy about that. But way to go, Michigan. Um, yeah, yeah, whatever. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, Joe, what about these? So varieties, because there's always there's always the the conflict of, <sighs> you know artificial versus natural tree but then in my house we always have the option locally what, what grows here would be a lodgepole pine some spruce and some fir and i'm a really big fan of fir I'm, I'm wondering what goes on in the joe aiken house oh my god i'm a fir guy too <clears throat> i like you know what's coming popular in the we're seeing more and more is con color fir mm. and there's such a thick conifer that i look at it and i'm like how do you where do you put a bulb it's so thick but they're beautiful and they're soft little thick lots of sap yeah lots of sap <laughs> um, i think i watched uh that show um national lampoons uh christmas is a christmas vacation yeah 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 uh, two or three times already it's hilarious oh yeah but well, i'm a fur guy and Let's let's talk about pine, spruce, and fir. Let's see if you can remember. Now, pine, to be classified as a pine, it has a cluster of needles, which could be two to five, five-needle pine in a bundle attached. So when you're out there and you're not exactly sure if it, what it is, you can tell quickly and look like a real rock star if you know the, the certain little tips. So a pine has a cluster. A spruce and a fir are very close in shape and needles. <clears throat> what's the one trick to determine what's the difference between a spruce and a fir? If you can, it, I could be wrong here, but if you can roll it between your fingers, does that make it a spruce? Yes, because it's more of a squared needle and if you like i said what, what core is talking about is if you pop 
one of the little needles off on that candle, you can roll it. It just, it's like a little, like a little square and it rolls through your fingers. If it's a fur, it's flat and it won't be able to roll. So that would help you when you're out there on the lot, just grab the needle. Oh, yep, that's a fur, you know, but understanding which one it is, you know, once you get past that, you really got to know what's growing in your area. If it's a balsam, Frazier, Doug fur, con color fur, they stick out like a blue thumb, but because they're like a blue, bluish tint to it, almost like a blue spruce. Oh, con colors are beautiful. That's, that's actually, so AB's con color. So that is a true fur, I believe. Um, that's, that's actually a really Uh, cool tree. If people haven't, if there are people listening who haven't found a a white fur or a con color fur, check them out. They're really cool. And like Joe says, those needles kind of, they're a little bit thicker, a little bit longer for a fur, but they poke up, they poke out and they have this beautiful, the tree as a whole has this beautiful conical shape. Um, I, I was watching something on the news, Joe, because I do understand that not everybody, you know, has, has the means or lives in a place where they can even get a fresh cut tree, but they were talking about Norfolk pine trees. So the, the ones that you'd see indoors, I think typically in Florida yeah. or, or, or Australia. Yeah. So they were talking about having those and how that's, that's kind of becoming a trend now. It was great about the, the Norfolk pine uh, being that it's a, a less hardy tree, the farther North you go. Hmm. They're giving to um live in a container. Yes. And people are keeping them and harvesting and growing them for years to, to come. And they keep it trimmed. And I've seen some pretty big ones here in the Midwest that were kept indoors over, you know, five to 10 years that really grew and beautiful inside of a house. So that's another trend, keeping them alive, planting them in the backyard afterwards. That's that's so funny you say that because, so the Norfolk, I think, comes from a part of Australia. But anyhow, we have one in our bedroom here at, at nine in 9,000 feet in Colorado, and it's got to be about four or five feet tall by now it's three or four stems but about five feet tall in our bedroom so joe and i really do uh eat sleep breathe and sleep trees people you gotta know that about us yeah tree nerd is an understatement oh yeah <clears throat> so um i picked a couple of uh fun facts great moments in christmas tree history so i want to talk about the first one is the uh, official Christmas tree tradition at Rockefeller Center Ooh. in New York began in 1933. So, 1930s. <laughs> Since 2004, the tree has been topped with a 550-pound Swarovski, Swarovski crystal star. Goodness. A 500-pound star. On top of that tree. <laughs> and since 2007, which is actually really, really neat, is that the tree has been lit with 30,000 <coughs> energy efficient LEDs, which are powered by solar panels. It's pretty sweet. That's amazing. You, you so, gotta think, that's got to be a big tree. It's got to be a strong, my guess is a spruce, probably Nor- Norway. Weeping uh, Norway, Sitka, Norway. I'm not sure. Every year is probably a different species, but you're right. But how do you, how do you top? So it's probably 50, 60 foot tall tree. So you're oh, talking yeah. about cranes and semis to move it. Oh yeah. But man, to put a 500 pound star on it. 
I think all I, 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 my first vision is Charlie Brown Christmas tree. When he put the first bulb on it and it yes. went, and it dripped down and just the bulb landed on the ground. <laughs> got to got to shore that baby up pretty good. <sighs> um, and another very interesting fact that I had, I did not know that since 1971, the province of Nova Scotia has presented the Boston Christmas tree to the people of Boston in gratitude for the relief supplies received from the citizens of Boston after a ship exploded in 1917 following collision in the Halifax, Nova Scotia Harbor. That explosion and collision um, blew up part of the city, was leveled, killing and injuring thousands of people. Wow. So in recognition of that since 1971, city of Boston gets their tree from Nova, Nova Scotia. I had no idea. I did not. That's pretty amazing. Fun-filled fact. Not that it was an explosion, but <clears throat> um, we took care of it. Sure, I'm thinking. Where's some other cool ones? Oh, Thomas Edison. Where There was one tradition. <clears throat> Thomas, you would think that Thomas Edison was uh, the guy responsible for illuminating Christmas trees because he invented the light bulb. It was actually his artificial Christmas. Where's the, there's a, a fact. It was actually his partner. Huh. Where's it? I, all right. Edward Johnson. <coughs> <coughs> Edward Johnson was Thomas Edison's assistant, came up with the idea of electric lights for Christmas trees in 1882. And the Christmas tree lights were first mass produced, Christmas tree lights, electric lights, 1880. No way. Yeah. We've been lighting these babies up with electricity for a real, real long time. Well, why can't we find out a way to let all the light strands still work, even if one bulb goes? <laughs> oh, God, then you got to pay extra money for that. Oh, my God. The lights that one can be out in the rest of the strand. Oh, we they did that. We got, oh, yeah. Oh, we, <laughs> we had a nice, uh, we had a nice uh, couple's building opportunity when we were decorating the tree and untangling the balls of lights that we had and half strands lit half blinking half unlit we we've gone mostly to led now i think a lot of people have but we still have a couple of those older strands floating around do you know that one time teddy roosevelt banned the christmas tree from the white house for environmental reasons get out no i'm serious i'm reading it so um the fair who's got here's here's the trivia i'm gonna ask you this is a, a quiz oh boy who was the first president to place a Christmas tree in the White House? Lincoln. I heard no. he's good with an axe. Just before him. Who's that? It was the 14th president of the United States. And the 14th president was who? <laughs> I wouldn't have known if I didn't dig it up either. <laughs> in 1856, Franklin Pierce. Oh, there's a name you don't hear very often. We don't use that in our household a lot, Joe. Thanks for thanks for pulling that one out of us. All right. <coughs> oh. And then uh, Coolidge, President Coolidge, 
started the National Christmas Tree Lighting Ceremony on the White House lawn in 1923. And then right after that, Teddy Roosevelt banned it for a while for environmental, didn't want to cut a tree down for environmental reasons, which we all know Teddy Roosevelt was a very big environmentalist, loved the outdoors, loved the forest. So, <coughs> Yeah, he, he loved, loved hunting, loved harvesting animals. Um, you know, but he's also, he did a lot for the national parks as well. So, you know, sh- shout out to Teddy and his fam. You know, it's just, a, it, you know, I, it's, if you're bored and if you Google or get online and just search whatever your search engine is, fun facts about Christmas trees and Christmas, it's an endless thing. We, we don't really look at it. And for discovering forestry, I think this is one of the topics that crosses a lot of genre that we podcast to. So this goes from farming, ag, um, national Christmas trees, U.S. Forest Service, traditional forestry. And I'm not sh- I know I know a lot of, you know, tree care companies that provide Christmas tree external Christmas tree lighting for homeowners. So if you had a big spruce in your front yard or pine that tree care companies um, are providing Christmas decor services. Holiday, holiday lights. That's, that's getting bigger and bigger. And so uh, yeah, it's pretty cool because we don't have very, there's not very many times we can cross all, all of our listeners all at one time. I agree. And if, if it's okay, I'd like to spend a, a little bit here talking about what people can do, some of the secrets, and maybe you and I can debunk one or two, but some of the secrets on keeping your tree green and healthy as long as you can. Okay. So I'm going to segue into it. Okay. A couple more riveting facts. All right. We're okay, yep. So you know, we talked about um, how big, how big Christmas tree farming is. And think back to the chip of the mitten. And we were talking about uh, well, I kind of like my mind, like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. In the, we in was the tree. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, live Christmas trees have been sold commercially in the United States since about 1850. There's been Christmas tree lots since 1850. <clears throat> and the first Christmas tree will Retail lot in the United States was started by Mark Carr in New York in 1851. But interesting thing is that I drove up, um, I, I live just north of Detroit. And yesterday I had to go up and visit a customer who was up near the tip of the thumb. But it's a two-hour drive. Right through farm country. I did not see one corner Christmas tree stand the whole way. I couldn't believe it. Where happened to all the corner Christmas tree lots? Who knows? <clears throat> but how this segues into what you're talking about is that we go out of our way to harvest or to collect. Either we go out and cut it down or we buy it on a lot. And if you buy it on a lot, it was probably harvested a month or two in advance already. How do we keep it looking green and holding their needles? In a harsh environment of inside the home with the dogs chewing part of it off and all that fun stuff, how do we keep it looking better, Corey? Do you have any good ideas? I do. I've got I've got a couple here and I'm watching the timer 
pretty closely. But right. um, the first one is make sure you're picking out something that's already has a full canopy and that's good species. So Joe and I talked about our, our favorite being fir, you know, balsam fir, double fir. Uh, but there are quite a few different pines that'll work good. But when you do select that perfect cannon bomb, something that we were doing even 10, 12 years ago is we would give people a fresh cut. So it, it should come as no surprise that when you cut down a, an evergreen, there's that there's that pitch, right? All that all that sap, that resin that likes to flow. If you give it a fresh cut within an hour of putting it into water, you're going to keep those tracheids or, or those those uh, water vessel conducting elements. You're going to keep those open. So make sure you ask or you give a fresh cut. Um, so per- for the tree dorks out there, what element, what vessels? Arteries, aka arteries, are responsible for upward movement. Zai high, flow low. That's right. I had never heard it like that before. Yeah. So we're opening up the end of the xylem that could have been pitched over by the corresponding resin ducts that long that uh, reside alongside xylem. So great <laughs> point. Fresh cut, important. I like it. Right, and remember tra- tracheids and evergreens. So that's. Uh, They'll give you, we could talk another hour about that, but we won't because there's this a really exciting list we got to get through. Um, all right. So the next, the next uh, quick tip is keep these trees out of the sun, out of the wind and away from heating ducts that you might have in your house, because that'll dry out the tree. You got to think these evergreen trees, y- you have to water them because they're always transpiring or they're giving off water through, through this process of transpiration. Um, which I kind of laugh when I hear this because uh, all I can think of is when I drive on the highway this time of year, you see these Christmas trees going 75, 80 miles an hour down the road. Uh, so so what, once you get them in the house with a fresh cut, you know, see if you can't do your best to keep them out of direct sunlight and uh, away from heating ducts. You know, that's part of the reason. That's a good point. Is that a lot of people, when you're picking them up from a lot, They'll pass on saving that five or 10 bucks to have them wrapped because they can throw them through a machine and bail them to get them home. That's very important to spend that extra couple of dollars unless you live close by to bail that, to pull them branches in tight for transportation. Um, I think that will give you an extended period of time. Also, if you protect it on your way from the the tree lot, tree farm, wherever you, the woods uh, to home. So if you have an opportunity, try bailing it. And I think you'd be greatly surprised on the longevity it is. I, I agree, Joe, 100%. Uh, the next next piece of advice is kind of funny. goes without saying, keep it watered. <laughs> there, I, I was surprised to see that there actually are some tree stands for real trees that that don't have about a gallon or so reservoir for water. So make sure if you're in the market that, that you do pick up a tree stand that can hold about a gallon of water. Uh, the dog will also like to pull some of that water out once again christmas vacation reference um, oh another thing that that people do and and we see it all the time here in um, in north america whether it's the midwest or, or here in the rockies but people actually spray wilt proof or wilt stop uh on the needles to help try to preserve those needles and, and basically what that product is depending on on which name brand you're going with it's either a, a soybean or a synthetic oil um or even a wax, but it basically covers up uh, the stomata or the, or the openings in those needles that are responsible for, for, for the tree breathing and letting out some of that moisture. So wilt stop or wilt proof is a good option for people too. Corey, you know, I, I'm, I'm shocked 
because my brain never stops rolling and thinking. <laughs> in the practice of plant healthcare and arboriculture, we spray evergreens, or some companies spray evergreens with an anti-transparent um, to stop it and hold tame moisture in evergreens throughout a harsh winter. You're right. Why would that not? You're right. Why wouldn't anybody think about a compound to do the needles? I, I, I do it with a product called Transfilm at, a, at a, about a 5% uh, solution. It, it works out. It works well. I mean, we'll throw the tree outside, you know, a couple weeks into the new year. And we live in a pretty sunny and windy environment, but it'll maintain needles and green needles, you know, until we actually throw it back in the woods or on a lake. Really? So, so, wow. so that's, that's a really good option. Another one that I, I wanted to pick your brain on, cause I, I don't know if it's true, real, I've never tried it. Um, but some people say that you, there's this miracle grow product that can extend the, the Christmas tree's life, but you can replace that product by using sugar, baking soda and water. And I don't, I don't see, you know, from a tree physiologist perspective, I don't, I don't understand how that works, but maybe you have experience. I, I've heard of so many um, wives tales on aspirin to fertilizer to all kinds of stuff. Um, I could, what the only thing I could possibly see is anything that would eliminate the resin from pitching in blocking up the xylem so it couldn't take anymore because once it sits into that the, the the fresh cut sits in your tree stand for a long period of time it's still going to pitch and how long are the ducks going to be open is there a compound that you put in the water that would keep the resin from hardening and blocking that that would be something worth looking into that'd be cool well, well, I'll have to try. I'll have to try at least one of those wives' tales. Although I, we have too many variables, but um, Joe, this was fun. Yeah. Hey, but I got one more cool thing. I know we're we're gonna be we're gonna ride it out really fast. But I seen another stat that most live Christmas trees could have up to thirty thousand microscopic organisms on it when you bring it into your house. Whoa. And when I was putting a star on our tree the other day, there was an itty bitty little spider nest hatching. And I've probably seen about 30 little bitty spiders on that Christmas tree. So be careful. Don't be bringing in the big stuff, birds. And remember, watch out for squirrels. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.